This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a woman and her husband, a man and his wife, get each other the worst books they can find at their local library. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read Midnight, a Dark Age Dawning novel by Ellen Connor. And on my 25th birthday, I had to read Angela Knight's Warrior from the Time Hunters Chronicles. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. We are here on a very special day. It's my birthday! It's my birthday! So, this is a good birthday song. Yeah, you Thanks are. for the birthday. You're welcome for the birthday. You are a quarter of a century old. I am the big old 2-5. Let's go rent a car right now. Yeah, that's pretty much the only cool thing that happens when you turn 25. That and sometimes your husband buys you a bottle of a really nice scotch and you come down with a cold. At this, like all at the same time, unrelated, because we were just now having our first glasses of the scotch and you've had a cold for a little bit. Yeah. But I, like, other than your uh, miserable struggle throughout sickness, I have to say I kind of like it because it gives you those dusky tones. I know, I've got that sultry low voice that you love so much. Yeah, really <laughs> engaging the ASMR here. Um, we are here to talk about our terrible books that we have picked out for each other. Uh, they seem to, at first glance, have a pretty common theme. I The covers alone this week are absolutely fantastic. We got real naked with these books. Not like we as people got naked with these books, but when we picked out these books, we seemed to go for a theme of nudity. Yes, since we could not see the book that the other was picking out, the fact that we ended up on these ones uh, is frankly fantastic. As you heard in the intro, I had Midnight by Ellen Connor, Ellen Connor, uh, on which has a steel-jawed, shirtless man with about five holsters holding a pistol behind a uh, raven-haired woman blowing in the wind with gigantic knockers and a, t- and a tank top holding an M4 carbine and like five more leg holsters with a full moon and what looks like a mesa behind them. So uh, pretty fantastic. It, I was informed it was a Dark Age Dawning novel, and I said, oh, no, this is going to be bad. Whereas Susan had Angela Knight's warrior, The Time Hunters. And mine has a shirtless man with some camo pants and a lot of tattoos and a ponytail and some pecs. He's got some big old pecs there. Um, and he's holding, I'm not going to be specific because I don't That's know anything a fake about gun. guns. That's a fake gun. He's holding a fake gun. Well, he's from the future. You don't know. He's from the future? He's from the future. And he's standing in front of the city that sort of looks like it's on fire. How would you describe that man's looks, by the way? Um, White trash. Really? Yeah, he's not good looking. He's got a ponytail. Oh, no. I would say, like, if. If medieval Vikings had DJs, this is the guy that would no, do that. No, that is part. not a Viking look. That's too, like, icky to be a Viking look. Vikings were known for their uh, hygiene. Yeah, totally. No. no. No, Sue, they were. They actually were? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, they were super I just assumed since they were old-timey like, people that they were, like, no, bad at being clean. In terms of, like, oh, most people throughout history have been clean except for Europeans. <clears throat> yeah, Europeans were bad at Do you, that. Did you know that during the Black Death, one of the uh, European doctors' recommendation that we still have, the Paris Medical Society's recommendation, was to not drink water, to, or, drink too much water or bathe too much. 
Oh. The water one kind of makes sense. Because the water, water was dirty. Yeah, but it wasn't a waterborne illness, so it didn't help. But don't eat, drink, or bathe too much. That's definitely going to help you Whereas with the germ sickness. Parasite sickness. Uh-huh. comes on fleas. Gross. So it would be even better to bathe. Whereas Gross. the Arabic uh, scientists were like, you should be bathing twice as much as you are right now if you're getting this. Yeah, they were smarter they, than we yeah, were. Yeah, they had... Well, what do you mean we? Well, we are descended from the Europeans. I'm not French. Don't you put that on me. <laughs> um, speaking of being descended and all that sort of stuff, uh, I don't really know. I don't have a segue for that. Oh, okay. I almost made a fine. testicles joke, but I couldn't connect it back. Just like my testicles. Yeah. More like the doctor who lost Hitler's testicle. I Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, Hitler only hit one ball. You didn't know that? No. Man, I'm just blowing your mind with history facts today. Are you going to elaborate on that at all? Or he no. lost it in the war. Oh, Assumably. Right. The Presumably. first war. Um, my sister, when we saw her this weekend, brought up, this is unrelated Hi, to Hitler and his testicles, but my sister brought up an interesting point this morning and asked uh, if I had gotten you that book because at first glance it looks like the title is yet again Midnight Sins. And I didn't, and that actually had not crossed my mind until this morning, but it made me think that in the future it might be kind of fun to just find as many books titled Midnight Sins or like Midnight or Sins as yeah. possible and just make you well, read all of them in start. a row. Yeah. yeah, I think that might be my new tactic. You're just going to read all of the books about sinning in the nighttime. Yeah. I have to say, uh, the phrase you used before launching into that, it's stuck in my brain while you're talking, and I want to use it as much as possible from now on. Uh-oh. What did I say? You said, this has nothing to do with Hitler's missing testicle, but. <laughs> so, that's, a, that's a good way to start any yeah. sentence. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, this has nothing to do with Hitler's missing <laughs> testicle, but I'm going to hop right into Midnight. Uh, my, I only got a page of notes out of this, even though it's a pretty long book. Over 300 pages. Over 300. Yeah. It's about 327 pages long. Uh, it's... I only got a page full of notes, and it's not just because I read it mostly in the car with your parents uh, on the way to and from Madison. Uh, it's because this book, Sue, was good. Not even, like, pretty good for Billy Vall. It was a good book. And the worst thing ever to happen to this book is the cover. Because you look at the cover, and you see it, and it's this and that and the other thing, and you're like, okay, this is going to be one of two things. Either just Bonefest, Midnight Sins, Choosers yeah. of the Slain type thing, especially because the girls just got... And I cannot stress this enough. Gigantic knockers on the front of this book. Uh, or it's going to be like Hunger Games, Divergent. Like young adult fiction. Yeah, because it's got Midnight, a Dark Age Dawning novel. Yeah, the that change, sounds like a YA trilogy. Yeah, the change was only the beginning. And it must be a trilogy. And I think the best thing, cheers, I think the best thing you could have ever done for me was to get me just the second one. Because I think <laughs> the first one would have been really boring and lame and... Uh, too many capitalizations. I actually started a capitalization tally to try and keep track because I've done that before and it works out really well. Uh, I only got three. Really? Yeah. Huh. Change before and I think new United... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Burning Night. Burning Night. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the start was not the, the most uh, uh, encouraging... It's her, this book was, at turns, uh, Mad Maxian. Okay. Uh, which, which took some fun, uh, even if it wasn't in plot, it was in some 
character development choices and uh, like uh, scenes. <coughs> and so they, uh, excuse you, the only, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you this. It takes place in post-apocalyptia. It's in across the border, south of the border, I think. Uh, I didn't really get a read on where exactly, but somewhere either in northern Mexico or southwest America, uh, you know, the Mojave. And so desert scenario, very uh, Mad Maxy already. And it opens with her, Rosa is our main character. I didn't have to look that up, so you know that it was a good book. I know, that's Rosa, crazy. Rosa uh, and her gang on motorcycles knocking over a semi-truck mm-hmm. to, uh, like, it's their territory and they didn't pay the tolls. So now their their goods are forfeit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't start out too well because we see this woman and she's jumping off of motorcycles and climbing up semis. And it's quite exciting. Uh, but it it's super weirdly sexual from the like from the gun yeah where it's like my taut or not my it's not from first person rose's taut thighs braced as she landed on the thing and she leaned over and she's very uh like rope not ropey but you know uh like fit. lean and lean muscular, that's yeah. The one, yeah lean and flexible and she leans over the the semi and points a gun at the driver and gets him out and then she like hoists herself back up on her rock hard abs and i'm like this is gonna be really I had, I had this inkling because it also talks about the change and kind of puts this into the background and the new United States closed its borders before the change even reached the, and you know, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so I was like, ah, shoot, this is just going to be like if the Hunger Games lost its virginity. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, and like if the Hunger Games was like, I'm a mature woman now. Yeah. I get to make my own choices. It's like if the Hunger Games went Miley Cyrus on us. So, did it continue to be super thirsty throughout the whole book? No, it was pretty thirsty, but for a good reason. It's a romance book. Yeah. Um, but I gotta, I, I gotta put this out there. One of the weirdest niche genres that I am wicked into and have been for a very long time uh, is the the genre of like settlement creation. You are into that. And like uh, beginning in a new place or like starting a culture and all that sort of thing. And that was like the main focus of this book is that Rosa is like the the governor or the mayor of this settlement. And it's the only one that our male lead, uh, I believe his name is, yeah, Chris, uh, uh, has ever seen because everywhere else civilization fails. But she manages through sex appeal and wise decisions and steel handedness, although she does not hook up with any of the men, uh, manages to get the... Let's see here. I want to get this right. Valle de Bravo. Mm-hmm. Valley of the Brave. Valle de Bravo. Valle, that's right. Sorry. Uh, she manages to get this city up and running uh, through her own wiles. And, you know, there's like a shop and barber and they all have to chip in and it's got rules. And as we find out throughout the story, it's got like uh, rituals and it's got uh, uh, each one of the bravos, so like the male citizens, there's way more men than women because in post-apocalyptia, women died out, I guess, uh, for a large number of reasons, both accidental and intentional. And so there's all these rules about, you know, like uh, the burning night is after a successful heist or knockover or whatever, that all the men like line up in this big bonfire and they, they ask women to dance and then they dance and then sometimes the women will agree to take them back or whatever. And so it, it worried me with this change in this everything, uh, but it stays really f- small and really focused. That's good. Yeah, there's. I didn't get to know every single person super well, but there's a couple of people that pop up in and out throughout the story. One, some of the Bravos, other than our main two, which uh, uh, I'll talk about in a little bit, but it stays really, really focused 
on like six, seven, eight of the Bravos, like the male warrior kind of guys, and like four or five women. And so it's it's implied that there are more Bravos that we're not seeing, mm-hmm. but it doesn't waste time introducing all of them and then like not knowing what to do with them, which is a really good decision. That's kind of nice. I feel like in a lot of books in general that's a really fine line to straddle is like you want to have a yeah look a at this good world cast building. of characters but you don't like we we can't care about that many characters at yeah. once and yeah. so like it's always nice and i feel like my the book that i read last time the star wars one did that really well yeah. so i'm glad you got one that did that yeah. well too because that can be super overwhelming when you're like like the Crimson Veil when oh, you're yeah, like, just who people. are all these people? When you have to have a glossary and a cast of characters, that's yeah. a bad sign. Um, so what happens is our male lead, Chris, is like a wanderer. He he has suffered uh, things in his past and it's post-apocalyptic. It's Mad Max. And so he's haunted by the people he couldn't save and everything mm-hmm. like that. And he, although he did save some of them, you know, he's... he's uh, incredible hulking his way down the coast is what we're led to believe uh, with a sad twinkly piano music behind him every single step of the way. But he hears the raid that Rosa goes on and I thought it was the opening scene. This is the one major misstep is that sometimes the action scenes get kind of confused as to time. Yeah. And so it felt like it was the same opening scene again, but it turned out it was a month later, like a subsequent hit. Oh. And he happens to stumble on that one instead of the first one. And you're like, well... So the chronology what? sometimes feels a little disjointed. That was and, the worst example. Yeah. But I don't know why they didn't just make it the very first one. Yeah. Uh, but he hears the trucks, and so he goes to sneak up, and he is surprised by one of the Bravos, and uh, he puts a, like, a gun to his back. And, of course, since he's a protagonist, he's the best at fighting. Of course he is. They and all so, have to be the best yeah, at fighting. Yeah, and so he takes the gun, and he, you know, he points it back at him, and there's some tense... Uh, you know, I have to protect my people, and then oh, I'm a. Turns out that Chris in uh in the before, Ooh. capital B, uh, I I thought this was very interesting. Studied kind of veterinary medicine, and so now he's going to be their town's doctor. And that is a really interesting thing, and I feel like that's something that gets brought up in some like post-apocalyptic type books, but not all of them. Like I think about um, I think it's the stand. By Stephen King, mm-hmm. where like anyone, like, oh, you were a nurse before all hell broke loose. Now you're our doctor because you're the yeah. only one with like any medical training yeah. at all. Like, you wind up having to become the expert. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's part of the, the niche that I really love. I, it's probably because The Stand is probably one of my first like adult, adult, adult books. Mm-hmm. As like, here's a thousand pages, read this type things. Uh, that's probably why I, I like this so much. But that sort of like, making do with the assorted skills that are left over and trying to cobble them together. Yeah. I really like that. So anyway, he gets back to the town. Rose is there, and he's not going to stay because he's wandering. He's going to be passing through. Oh, yes. And it, it's it's a little cliche, especially when it's like the, the tension between them was immediate, those types of things. And so yeah. it's, it's going to be a love story. But the thing is that Rose is the head of this uh, town, and he's wandering, he's haunted. And so... The whole will they or won't they thing is a little cliche and a little done, but also for a cliche is very well done. And they have like their reasons for the won't they pieces and everything. And uh, Rosa is worried about if she makes out with this dude, then all the dudes that she's rebuffed in the past will get mad at her instead of just wanting to like continue wanting to bone her and then she'll lose their loyalty or whatever. Yeah, she which is, to... like, a legitimate yeah. concern. Yeah. And then she doesn't want to be seen as, like, having feelings and everything. And she also 
there's a lot of like backstory that gets developed out about like hey post-apocalyptic is not the greatest place we didn't always live in these towns type of time yeah and so that those sort of histories get brought in very naturally very genuinely and very well and so i was really encouraged to keep reading like none of the things that you see are surprising Mm -hmm. they're not like oh man i never would have expected that but the fact that we're stopping and seeing them and like picking up the signs like the way that she acts you can guess at her backstory the way that he acts you can guess at his backstory without having being told or without it being like oh this is your archetype yeah and so that's that's really good about like it's it feels these characters kind of feel lived in a little bit and then each one of the the uh citizens of valley de bravo that we, or valle de bravo that we see uh of of the ones we see and get to know a little bit better are like pretty depthful characters and it's not and i i hate like the shades of gray thing because that that in itself is like oh i'm gonna make my character shades of gray but like there's a guy who you agree with like 85 percent of the stuff he says and then 15 percent of the stuff he doesn't yeah and, Character A doesn't like character B, and character C doesn't like character B, but also character A and C don't get along either. And so it's not just like an us versus them all the time sort of scenario. Which is a lot more similar to like how real life relationships work. And yeah. Yeah. And so there's there's like the one, the main male suitor to uh, uh, Rosa before Chris shows up, uh, which by the way, there's a ton of like just thrown in Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, hey, remember that uh, these people are Spanish sometimes, or Mexican and Guatemalan. Yeah. Uh, sometimes and uh, but I did enjoy there was one character from Connecticut who had made it all the way down and so she spoke very like she writes a thank you note on yeah. what little paper She's they had like left. old school yeah. yeah and so that, that was pretty interesting but uh, the main character after our uh, heroine before Chris Falco which is a kind of a stupid name uh, you know they end up getting in a fight for her affections but it's mainly that he doesn't really know what's happening and then after the dude beats him up and after Rosa like says, yes, okay, we're, we're doing it and we're, you know, he's my man and everything. Yeah. Then he's like, yeah, well, cool. It's, it's your decision. Like, I don't have to like it, but that's the way it's going to be, you know? And so then he he does his best to stay loyal, but there's still some resentment yeah. beneath the surface. And so that was that was really awesome. And I, I don't really want to uh, get too into the book because here here's the thing. I think people would enjoy reading this. I cannot recommend the first or third. I have not. I assume it's a trilogy, uh, because all books are now. Yeah. Uh, I cannot recommend the first. I didn't read it, but the second one I thought was pretty good. Uh, it might have to do with the overall themes and uh, uh, like feeling of the book are really tied into number one the the niche genre that I like, and also a book that I wrote. <laughs> like, yeah. It's. I was like, oh damn. Okay, well, shoot. Uh, that's done now. I guess. Uh, but a couple of things uh, that stand out. The f- After this change, it's pretty interesting because our main character is a, uh, was a scientist, like a vet scientist, uh, bio- biologist, and all this. I never really got a peg on his actual job title. Um, and so there's this change where a bunch of crap starts happening and things become a little bit magical and a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, I, I've given up on trying to figure this out. Like, yeah. no, no explanation makes sense. And so it's just kind of like what life is now. And it... To a certain extent, I'm like, either explain it all the way or don't. And I would prefer you didn't. I would prefer it just be like, stuff's happening now. This is a supernatural book. And not so much like, I'm a scientist. I tried to figure this out, but it just doesn't make sense. Like, that's kind of trying to hedge your bets a little bit. But 
like for example, I love that I came into the second book not knowing what the the change looked like, mm-hmm. not knowing the first couple of days after, because the first couple of days after is not interesting to me. You saw, I've seen twenty eight days later. I've seen all this other stuff. Yeah, it's the two months later, six months later, one year, ten later. years later. Yeah, yeah, when stuff starts getting built up. Um, but anyway. Chris and Rosa start having shared dreams at the same time. Ooh. Uh, and so the first dream that they share together, that they later learn they share together, because the chapters switch on and off, uh-huh. him, her, him, her, but it never feels like, oops, now it's got to be his turn again. Remember that polar bear book that we read where it's like uh, 50 perspective changes each scene? Yes. It was like they picked the right times to move and it made sense why we were seeing the scenes we were seeing from the people well, that's a relief. I'm, like, really glad for your sake that that's yeah, how it went down. that was awful. But anyway, the first dream they have together is also the book's first sex scene. Ooh, and steamy. So, and so we get, like, them having sex when it's supposed to be, like, this forbidden fruit, will they, yeah. won't they thing. But the problem is then it's like, well, we get to see them having sex without any repercussions. And the repercussions is the sexy part. Yeah. And it's not like the sex that's the like, ooh, nice. It's like the, what happens now? It's yeah. so dangerous. It's, yeah, you're right. It's the, and so, the anticipation yeah. of like what what's going to change after this. Yeah, so, and yeah. so I'm going to get a little bit blue here, but they, <laughs> but he's not. Yeah. Uh, but they both have this dream, and so she's like, I haven't had a taste for men in, you know, ever, and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and he's like, oh, she's driving me crazy. I want to be moving on pretty soon, but she's making me stay, and I've got a boner. Anyway, she wakes up and she's going to go take a shower and she finds him already there because he also had this dream and also woke up. So he's in there. And it's this part is told from his perspective about uh-huh. like he already woke up satisfied or whatever. right? Okay. And, and he's like, but he has to hold on to it for as long as he can. And so he starts jerking off in the shower and it's a communal shower and he's he's thinks he's awake before everyone else is before dawn. And she comes into the shower to take her shower before anyone else comes up. And we are led to believe that he does not see her, and he, like, finishes, and he's, it's great, and he... Oh, we, no. It's not... That part is not that graphic, because who wants to see that part be graphic? Yeah, no. But then he turns around, and she's there, and she's like, oh, thanks for the show, and... Oh, and, no. And he tries to play it cool. Like, to the author's credit, he's like, oh, God. But he tries to play it cool. It's like, well, thank you for letting me finish, and all that sort of... And then they just go, like, to talking... And oh. it comes out that their dream they had the same dream yeah. and you know, and she's visibly aroused as well as well he isn't anymore. But I wrote down he tries to play it off cool. Yeah, right. I'm vomiting in awkwardness. <laughs> yeah. If I saw the person I had a sex dream about after I did that about the sex dream I had about them, I'd be like, oh blah. <laughs> I think having vomit on yourself and being able to be like, I need to take another shower, it would be less awkward. Than that than, situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's pretty painful. I can tell that you feel really awkward about it because you like you have no. your like, awkward, squatchy. No, it's also right like super hot in here, but I want to turn the fan on. And now I'm <laughs> going to. So if the sound quality gets really weird and really bad, then that's uh, awkward and splotchy's fault. <laughs> but uh, uh, I will say... That they continue to like, will they or won't they their way towards doing it? And there's the, it's not like a, a bodice ripper kind of, you know, wanting or anything yeah. like that. It makes sense in the context, and there's other plot going on, and there's a baby being born, like the Rose of my book, uh, and all sorts of stuff. And then they, they uh, name the baby the same thing I was going to name the baby. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. Well, offered to name the baby. Anyway, 
But uh, she makes a bad decision, blah, blah, blah. She ends up getting shot in some way. And for some reason, it's there after he's stitching her up. And there's these very real moments of intimacy. Like, they take care of each other and they do first aid and they're in privacy. And so they start making out for the first time after the whole jerking off thing. Uh, And then she's losing a lot of blood and faints while they're making out. And so he says, like, take her to the couch. But uh, uh, eventually they, you know, give in and do it and several times. And she's really bad at it, uh, which I found very humanizing and uh, interesting that she's like this... uh, sexy lady that with this natural allure that's not that good at having romantic sex uh but the one thing i noticed is that the the woman on the book apparently looks nothing like her in two certain aspects <laughs> oh she is the actual character like small chested <laughs> yeah okay that is one of the things and i'm sure they do it to like get your attention they want to put attractive people on the cover but i feel like almost all of our sex book type tv ebooks are like that where like nikki sticks from dead girls are easy was not the like slinky red dress and high heels kind of girl that was on the cover and like the main character from excuse me while i kill this guy was like close to 40 and 20 pounds overweight and (laughs) like well, the, that was the whole point of the character, and well, so they're like nothing like the person on the here's cover. Here's the thing, though. I, fi- I figured it out. The book cover has to make you want to say, I want to watch these two people doing it. But then the character has to make you say, I think it's me that's doing it with oh, this guy. Oh, yeah. So they have to th- throw in a couple flaws. Although she like is apparently extraordinarily attractive, which, like I mean, breast size is, has very little to do with overall attractiveness. Uh, but I find it funny that... like. For some reason, Instagram uh, thinks that I want two things in my Discover tab. One, text messages in Spanish. Mm. And two, cosplay costumes of video game characters. Huh. And here's the thing. Name a video game character from, like, out loud. Um, Link from Zelda. Here's Link with gigantic hooters and yeah. Zelda with gigantic hooters. Yeah. Here's Lisa Simpson with gigantic hooters. Like, That's weird. There's only one type of cosplay person and they're gigantically boobed. Anyway, that I'm getting off topic. Um, so the weirdest part, by the way, several more sex scenes. Pretty good. Pretty good sex scenes, Sue. Really? Pretty good. They're all good sex scenes, Sue. They're all good sex scenes? That's not true. That's never true. But in this book, they're pretty pretty good. They're pretty good? Yeah. Interesting. I know. I, I was very intrigued to hear you talk about this book because in the car and then my home, you looked over at me and you were like, I just forgot I was reading a bad book. Yep. It's a good book. I enjoyed reading this book. This is then the first you're time. right. They really did. They really did this it is, a disservice yeah. with that cover because that is, cover should be the cover of a horrendous book. Yeah. Um. So I, I told you to go read this book, and if you if you've been interested in this book, if your niche is like my niche and it itches a bunch, uh, then you can skip forward like a minute or so in this podcast. But we know you're not going to because who has time to read for real? So you just read your 25th book on your 25th birthday already. But, I did. For the year. But this book, I was, I was saying, you know, it's going really well. I'm really into this, this sort of plot. You know, the change isn't really necessary. This could be like, oh, society just collapses because of any reason. But yeah. They, they chose supernatural reasons. And then somewhat out of the blue, it had been mentioned before, but somewhat out of the blue, you know what they snuck in? A council. 
Close. Shifters. Shifters. Stop. No. Yes. This book seemed good. You it, said it was good. It's pretty good. This is the biggest misstep it makes. And more than that. Shifters. Main character ends up being a shifter. Chris. He doesn't know he's a shifter. That's the weirdest part is that he sees like Rosa about to die and he shifts and Why like bites the Why did they Rosa. do this at the end of the book? I, well, no, it had been other places in the book. Like there was a family and Rosa is terrified of skinwalkers is what their name for them is in this book, uh, getting oh. into town. And it turns out a guy in town was already one for a while. Uh, and so she learns to appreciate them and like uses them in the, the raids now because they have better senses and everything. But the weirdest part is something that happens with this subtext a lot is you're supposed to believe that there's some sort of like discrimination subtext you know with like oh she doesn't like skinwalkers she doesn't trust them they're dangerous and evil and it turns out they're all great people but i i think that's a terrible direction to go to talk about discrimination because then you're buying into the idea that in real life assumably you're talking about either race gender or sexuality yeah and by making what the marginalized population literally turn into animals, like it's like the th- same thing I didn't really get about Zootopia. It's like no, predators eat like rabbits. Like they have a reason to be afraid. Yeah. There's no actual in life reason to be afraid of any of those marginalized populations. Yeah. So it it worked like that too. Where it's like your subtext didn't really come through. But uh, overall, Midnight, a Dark Age dawning novel. Just read this one. It's a self-contained story. Perfect. Yeah. And you do not need to read the first. You do not need to read the third. I have no interest in reading the third. It ends neatly tied up. <coughs> but, I'll, like, I can't get over it. I have to... Other than yeah. the shifters, though, I was feeling pretty good about it until you said it's, there were shifters. There's low-impact shifting. There's no council. They're not, like, associated together. Okay. They're, it's not like some shifter subpopulation. It's just... Some people turn into animals. But all in all. All in all. Good. good book. I would say a solid like seven and a half out of ten. What is happening to us? Like is our bad book radar just off? Well, I don't know. That depends on how you did. Mine was it was not like last episode with the Star Wars book. I liked that book. Uh, this one wasn't quite like that. It wasn't good, but man, it was fast. Well, yeah. This book was a really fast Where'd read. Where did you start reading it? I started reading this book at 1.30 p.m. after I finished my actual good book on the drive home. I finished at 5.25, and we had, like, other things that we were doing in there, like getting home and doing laundry. And almost... And- <laughs> okay, you need to finish that sentence because what did we almost do? Because poop our pants. Oh, that was just Mick. Mick almost pooped his pants on the way home. Um, but like <laughs> getting ready for dinner and doing laundry and taking a shower. Yeah. And like with all of that stuff in there, I still finished this book in less than four hours. It was it was quick. <laughs> How many pages is it? Um, it's less than three hundred, so it's a short one. It's about two seventy five to eighty. Um, Angela Knight's Warrior from the Time Hunter series. And like I said at the beginning, like mega douche on the front cover with a big fake gun in front of a city that appears to be burning. And like none of that really happens in mm. the actual book. Yeah. I, I mean, presumably he does have a, a big gun, but he never Metaphorically has... or? Well, metaphorically and literally. Uh, but there are no like burning cities or anything like that. 
it was kind of similar to yours. Like, it was a decent concept. Um, the I, Time Hunters series is a decent concept? Mm, I take that back. Not necessarily <laughs> a decent concept, but it wasn't one of those books where it got really on its own dick about the world building. Mm. It was just like, here's the world that this book is set in, and here's the book. Like, it was just pretty, <laughs> like, it just kind of, it kind of, like, softballed it out there to you. Like, it, it wasn't, you know, you know that book that you read, Harmony? Yes. Where we were like, this is a cool and interesting world that you've built, and then... Didn't do anything with it. didn't with. do anything with it, like... I was going to say this is pretty, this is better than that. Similar. I don't know. I'm not doing a very good job getting started talking about this To be fair, you read it in four hours. I can't imagine we can, like, comprehend too much in that speed. This book was not that bad, but it also wasn't great. And the Time Hunters series, uh, our main character is a man named Gaylar Arvid. And I'm just going to read... The back of this book to you. No wonder he became a guy with a huge gun. His name is Gaylord. Yeah. In the 23rd century, time travel is no longer just a flight of fancy. Tourists, historians, and criminals can leap through time at will to police the time jumpers. The Temporal (laughs) Enforcement Agency, all capitalized, has established a precinct in time tucked away in the Georgia mountains. Gaylar Arvid. Wait, wait, wait. Does the main story take place in like modern times? Parts of it do, and it's in the South, naturally. South <laughs> is this Carolina another urban fantasy, ex- urban sci-fi? Part of it is, yeah. Oh, jeez. Galar Arvid, a genetically altered warlord and agent, has been sent back to 2008 to save a pretty Atlanta artist from a Zirin time traveler. Well, no, just stop the housing crisis, Who Gaylar. intends to kill her for profit. What Gaylar doesn't count on is the powerful desire Jessica Kelly ignites in him. But could a romance between them ever work? A 200-year chasm separates them, and even if they dart through time, there's still a maniacal killer on their trail. Um, I read a a chapter, a few sentences of this out loud to my parents in the car because my dad was like, are you still doing that weird book thing? And I was like, yes, Tom. Yes, Tom, I am. Would you like to hear a couple sentences of my weird book? And this was the paragraph that I read aloud. The supposed art thief jumper, jumper is capitalized, who should have been easy prey for the three of them, was actually a Zirin, the X is capitalized, heavy (laughs) combat cyborg. He was well over two meters tall with cybernetic implants that gave him strength greater than Galar's, even in Riot. Riot is italicized. Um, I don't know. I did not know at the time and still don't know what a Zirin is. I assume he's from a planet. What Riot is. I know what a jumper is. Like, I guess I technically know what a Zirin is. Um, I believe Riyadh is the capital city of uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Right? That's what I thought, too. Apparently, it's a state of arousal that uh, warlords can enter either in combat or in, like, sexy times. Mm. So, basically, the plot of this book, we start out following Galar. And Galar is supposed to be this, like ice-cold um, general who who works for this this time-policing unit. A, that's a fun uh, uh, character to follow in a romance novel, ice-cold. Yeah. 
gonna get I'm it feeling yep and then someone will come along to melt his heart except With a cool island song except that doesn't have it in this book and i'll tell you why so he's supposedly this guy who never lets anyone in he's a jerk to everybody doesn't want to establish relationships with anyone um he had fallen in love with a woman in his previous job and it turned out that she was a spy <laughs> He that wound up chestnut. figuring out that she was a spy and Killed he it. had to kill her. Actually. And so now he's like burned on relationships and he doesn't trust anyone. And he just is, he's got a really icy personality. And while everyone respects him because he's good at his job and he's a good fighter, no one actually like wants to be in proximity with this person because he's I can kind of a dick. I'm, a, I'm good at my job and a good fighter. You and, really are. And nobody likes me. That's, like, not even a little bit true. Is it because of my cold exterior? It's because of your cold heart. Which you need to thaw with a fresh island song. Yeah, and your facial expressions make no one want to be around you because your face is hard and chiseled and you look no, those, furious those all the time. Those are my abs. <laughs> uh, answer this for me. Is Gaylar, uh-huh. <laughs> was he originally from a pastime and the time cops came back to grab him since he was such a great guy. No, he is from the future. Oh, that's dumb. I know. That that was a trope that I was actually looking out for because I figured that was going to happen. But in the opening scene, Gaylar has gone back in time to 2008 with a group of his co-workers, colleagues, whatever. And they are supposed to save an artist named Jessica Kelly who was murdered at that time. And they're not really trying to save her. Essentially, he has, like, learned about her murder that happened 300 years ago, and he thinks that it has something to do with time travel. He thinks that she wasn't actually killed. She was taken out of time. And so he he and his group go back to see if that's what actually happened because they are not able to change anything. When they go back in time, they are physically incapable of changing history. So why so why go back in time at all? Why, what are they supposed to do? Why do they need to be really good fighters and stuff? Because there are evil people that can also go back in time. What they can do there, I don't know because they can't change history. It's like they they the author makes a big point of you can't you can't change history. You are physically incapable of doing certain things if they're going to change the course of history. Then what are you able to actually do when no you kidding. go back like, in time? No, it's that's re- yes, that's so dumb. You're right. Like, is, if she got taken out of history, then on the first go round, somebody came back in time and took her out of history, right? Yep. So thereby creating, assumably, an alternate universe. So if that's the existing history in the place where this dude lives, then why is it incapable for him to go back and? punch, kill, kick, whatever, the person who took her out of history or killed her. Because it's a gigantic plot hole, Mick. No, it's not a plot hole. It is the plot, and it just doesn't make sense. Exactly. Like, why anything? I'm furious right yeah. now. It, so, like, that's the very broken premise that we're starting on. Oh, gosh. And so he, they successfully save this woman. They extract her. They bring her back to their They're, headquarters no, outside the of No, then they were the time. first ones to take her. That's what you would think. So apparently they were. I don't know. That's never that that never gets brought up again. We just sort of keep moving, and that seems to be 
the the general idea whenever we encounter like stickiness in the plot or plot holes or anything like that we just move on well and and we just distract ourselves with sexiness i was gonna say is this a very horny book it is a very horny book that's kind of how things work when you're horny pretty much you're, you're like, like this oh isn't- this doesn't make any sense whatever i'm gonna take my pants off yeah yeah and that's that's kind of how it goes uh, and like it's at least it's on brand and whatever like this was designed to be a sex book and it is put in a time travel sci-fi backdrop to make it different than other sex books and that's just the way that it is so like whatever you're you're a sex book with a lot of plot holes but that's fine <laughs> gross so he he takes her out of this situation um, and brings her back to their headquarters, which are outside of time, and he becomes responsible for her. His commander has put him in charge of her well-being. They're afraid that um, the person who was originally after her, the, the Zerons, um, well, there was another person that was after her. The Zerons um, are after her, and then there's a whole thing with her roommate, who's also a Zeron, but is, like, trying to double-cross the Zerons, and the roommate imprinted her, and now she's starting to develop Zeron abilities, um, but I'm not even going to go into that right now. So he takes her to their headquarters. He is responsible for her because his commander thinks that someone else is going to come after her again and try to kill her, which happened several times. And... You would think at this point that their whole relationship is going to revolve around her adjusting to the fact that time travel is possible and she has been taken to a place outside of time and, like, the people that she's surrounded with are from 300 years in the future and there's all this technology, there are alien races, there are cyborgs, all this stuff that's really different, right? And also wieners. Yeah, so, like, she's adjusting to that and this, like stone cold ice man who hates everyone and can't trust anyone particularly women is going to be adjusting to and falling for her and we're going to see his icy exterior crumble all of that thanks to a warm island breeze exactly so we we expect to see based on every other romance novel ever and good sense those are the things that are going to like develop through the book and then they're going to wind up together right Uh both of those things get resolved in chapter three because each of them... Wait, they had already found and took her by chapter Yes. Th- that's too fast to even yes. find. You bet. So she gets put... I don't remember what they stand, what this acronym stands for, and I'm not going to look it up. But they each get something implanted into them called an EDI. And it's Earth something, Defense something Initiative. implant. Oh. And the EDI, basically, in her brain... It gives like it. It just gives her all the information to help her process all the new things. So as she encounters different things in this new world, she's like, "Oh, I know what that is because of this implant that I've gotten." So nothing needs to be explained to her. There's like a, a this like is, a I, I, five minute window where like she sits there and cries because it's all assimilating into what she currently knows and it's really stressful. And then after that, she's fine. This is. The like I don't know how you said at the beginning that this book wasn't so bad. You do this all the time where you like it's not so bad. Here's all these no, I'm terrible not saying, things. Like it's not so bad because it's a like it's an okay book and I recommend that you read it. Like the writing was not the writing was obviously terrible. Well, no, no, no. but like it wasn't like Midnight Sins where I did not understand the sentence structure oh. or like Choosers of the Slain where like things were so like dark. disgusting and yeah. dark like. 
It wasn't that kind of bad. It was just bad. No, no. This this goes beyond, like, Suzer the Slain, for its disgusting terribleness, had pacing and, like, character choices, where mm-hmm. this one is, like, the, oh, the whole reason that... Harry Potter doesn't know about the Wizarding World is that so we can find out about the Wizarding World exactly. through Harry Potter. And now they just decide like, oh, here's a thing in your brain so that the reader doesn't get to watch you learning it so they don't get to learn it. Exactly. I wrote in my notes, shortcuts equals sloppy. Like it was sloppy writing because anytime that she came across a situation where she didn't want to have to like explain or have the characters go through this and develop, she just put in a shortcut. And he gets an EDI too. He gets an oh, EDI. Oh, you take some penicillin for that. He gets <laughs> he gets um, an EDI that allows him to know all of the things that there are like specially trained folks who help temporally displaced individuals. So people who have so moved to a different time. So they're he's specialists. Foibulous. They're specialists that are supposed to help those people. Um, but apparently they don't need to be specialists because you can just put an implant implant into your brain and then you become one of those specialists. So he, so he puts in this implant and he becomes able to help her through the whole transition and magically he's no longer icy and mean and not trusting. He trusts her. He's attracted to her. He thinks that he's falling for her. He's warm and caring and patient like all of, we, we spend the whole first chapter just getting it drilled into our heads that this guy is icy and impenetrable and mean and rude. And then all of a sudden he gets this thing put in his brain and that's gone now. This sucks. Yeah. I'm so mad it's, listening to this. It's really sloppy. Could it, it, I, I can see it being like if I didn't know that it was a sex book – I'd be like, okay, is this going to be like some sort of Philip K. Dick? Like, well, who are you really if you're changed this much by a chip in your brain? No, we don't ever, of we course don't ever not. work with that at all. Of course not. Um, no, it's and, – and the I'm reason go that bed. all Good of night. these sloppy shortcuts are in there is because it's a sex book. And all of the rest of it, like the action scenes, the the murder plot, whatever, it's, it's all – purely to offset the sex scenes and like set you up for the sex scenes of which there are many there are very many of them Um, i believe are they good i counted there are five or six sex scenes tough difficult to tell which one counts they're pretty good um no i just couldn't remember um they're like they're pretty good i've read worse sex scenes in this project i've read better ones um this is a project now (laughs) yeah and I wrote a I wrote a couple of notes. Actually, the bulk of my notes are about the sex scenes. Um, like Midnight Sins, the sex scenes span several chapters. Ugh. So, like, a sex scene will start about a third of the way through chapter six, and then it will finish halfway ah. through chapter seven. Sometimes a little early. Sometimes a little early. If it's been a while since there's been a last sex scene. One question that I have about sex scenes... Why in these books do people's eye color change when they're aroused? Like everyone's eyes, and it's not like pupils dilate or whatever, that happens too sometimes, but like actual eye color like darkens or brightens or turns stormy when people are aroused. Because you can't write uh, dialogue that shows this, so you just have to like 
like rub their face until it's different. It's so weird. Like why? And it, that it's not just this book. Like I know, that's yeah. in a lot of books. Why is that a trope? Um, the man, the male character, Gaylar, always uses the phrase. I think you're overdressed to get her to take her clothes off. Like, come up with something more original, sir. At least Thank a you. couple times. Um, his testicles are described as oh, good. As <laughs> I'm glad we get this in, like this insight. They are described as fat plums, which I just thought was gross. <laughs> like they're purple and large. I I don't know. There, I don't know if that was like the size and shape of them. Or the color of them. They're just described as testicles like fat plums is the phrase. Um, it's not. It's like if like a candy hearts were made out of like naked mole rat skin. Yeah. And then re- really gross and hairy and made big and tender and they move around in front of your eyes. That's what it's like. Okay. Well, that's disgusting. It's like, it's like, yeah. Testicles it's, are disgusting. It's like if the shells of eggs were soft and also made out of a bat's wing. Oh, can we not talk about testicles anymore? You brought I'm it up. I'm not into this. Um, moving on from not the fat plum testicles, the phrase impale her on his cock is used several times, and I've heard that one in TV ebooks before, and I hate it. Maybe he's one of those beetles that has to like push it through the, the exoskeleton. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Um... She, at one point, tells him, like, when he's inside her, you fill me so full, which I just think is really th- bad writing. Do you think that he was like... Oh, Gaylar, you fill me so full. Do you think that he was like, no, there's only, like, there's full or there's not? <laughs> there's not so full. Um, and then at the very end, spoiler alert, these two wind up together. Um, at the end... The like epilogue chapter is the two of them having a picnic and out she's in a the spy. countryside. She's not a spy, oh. um, and he is like feeding her all of these little like foods that he's prepared, these little finger foods. And every time he feeds one to her, he describes what it's like, and then says how it reminds him of her. So like the cheese is smooth and creamy. Like, and then he says something gross about our inner thighs, I think. Um, I'm going to be in the angry dome. Like, rich and decadent and all of this stuff. And and apparently, Mick has just, like, rage quit and is wandering around our apartment like the Hulk. This is awful. And then, apparently, this whole thing is a ritual. It is a love ritual. No, back out. I'm coming back. And I'm leaving again. In his home planet. Where that's how you, like, tell someone that you love them. And that's also how you basically, like, propose to them. It's a betrothal repast is what it's called. Repast? Repast. Like fencing? Yes. And then he says, but I've also done some investigating into marriage customs on your planet. And I've seen that it's customary for the man to buy a woman a diamond ring from a place called Tiffany. And he, like, apparently time-traveled back to 2000s America and bought her a Tiffany engagement ring. And it's just the lamest shit ever. Uh, the end. We're done. Bye. I do, so, back to the subject of, like, sloppy writing and shortcuts. Yeah. There's another one. I'm exhausted. There's another one. 
So she has been, at the beginning, her roommate, who apparently is the person that the Xerons were after all this time, and she just got thrown Not into it. Um, she, the roommate imprinted her with some powers. And so she's starting to develop these powers. You would think that if you're going to throw that in there, that's also going to be a theme is like seeing her not have control over these powers, seeing her figure out how to use them. Um, have like the frozen scene where Elsa like gets mad and goes crazy and freezes everything and and now it's perpetual winter and we don't have that she just sort of immediately knows how to use them and she like defends herself and she um, like defeats things and breaks the cyborg and does all this stuff and she has the visions and she basically like solves all the puzzles because she has this these powers now that she just immediately knows how to use, even though no one knows or understands anything about them or anything. about She the doesn't book. know anyone else who has similar powers that she can talk to. She just sort of knows how to do it. I'm that special level of angry where I'm not even yelling anymore. My jaw is as clenched as it can be because this book is wrong. It's, you, it should not. It's wrong. Yeah. Morally. Do you want to know something funny, though? They refer to men's underwear as snugs. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that? That, like, makes it a little better. Snugs? Snugs. Are they, like, special futuristic Omicron underwear or No, something? they're just, like, boxer briefs. Snugs. Are you sure it wasn't his testicles again when it's cold outside? No, because it, it like they're talked about non-sexually. Like they wake the commander up in the middle of the night, and he's this like big imposing dude with these big tattoos and all this stuff, and he's like super ripped and muscular, and, and he's in his little black snugs. Jesus. <laughs> snugs. That's like so. Here's the thing. When I said this book wasn't that bad, I think I've come to a realization about how I characterize bibliophile books. Um, if a book is good, I will, I will acknowledge that it is good. Listen to our last episode about the Star Wars book. That was a good book. I think I only have three categories. There's good. good, Not that bad. There's unreadable. And then anything in the middle of good and unreadable is, it was all right. It was pretty good. It wasn't that bad. Like, that's how I used to describe anything that I can finish and have something to talk about. Because I have had several books that were unreadable. So, like, anything that's, like, I have no no barometer for anything in the middle. Because I'm just like, whatever, I got through it. It's better than Choosers of the Slain. Or that one Grimrose Path book that was absolutely intolerable. Yeah. I'm sorry I'm not being the best co-host right now. Because I'm just staring at Sue as if this book is her fault. It's it's not my my fault. fault. It's my fault. I got it for you. I the brought this on myself. The sex scenes were pretty good. And, like, I think Do that you know was... You they the, have, like, porn on the internet, right? But, like, no, I mean, not, like, they were so good. I'm going to think about them later. But, like, as far as romance Impaling, books go... Though, yeah. Well, as far as romance books go, like, it could have been a lot grosser. Um, and, and I think that was the thing that I, like, was able to keep in mind as I was reading this. Like, the plot holes don't matter nothing about the plot or the character development matters because that's not the point of this book this was supposed to be like tantalizing no it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be sex scenes i think there are a lot of books that like they're just they're just supposed to be sex books 
they're not even going to be like that well written or that really tantalizing. They're just, they're just going to be sex books. It's just going to be like here's these two attractive people. They're going to bone a bunch. It's like pushing two Barbies together. I mean, I'm a cyborg. That's like probably a third of the books that are in the library in the fiction section. Especially large print fiction section. Old women get thirsty. Thirsty. So thirsty. Anyway, I'm exhausted from yeah. anger. So, one thing that I was wondering about our next episode in two weeks. Yeah. Do we think that it might be time to get started on our uh, our other world project? And that next week, or ne- next episode, you and I can both read, respectively, books one and two of Maybe the other we world should series. put that off another week. Put it off another week. Okay. Okay. It's, it's been relatively... Early. I think if there's been like two, Plus there's, there's been two episodes in between. There's other investigations I want to go after in this. Oh, okay. This bibliobile initiative. Since we're now talking about it as a project. Yeah. Maybe we're the bibliobile initiative. The. Mm, I was gonna say like I was gonna try to come up with an acronym and then I can't do it. The bi. I don't want to be the bi. It's too close to the bo. Bibliobile overworld. Okay, syndrome. What are some books? What are some other things that we could look into? I've I have had the idea that it might be um, fast, essentially, to do uh, young adult fiction. Yeah, I want to because see... I'm still in travel season, so books that I can read uh-huh. quickly are at a premium. Yeah. I want to see who can have. Sorry, I'm yawning. I want to see who can have the most capitals in their book. Ooh, that's a good one. I feel like young adult fiction would be. A I good think way I'm going to read Karl Marx. Das Capital. There should be a lot of capitals. There in that should book. be a lot of capitals in that or one. Or an atlas. Oh, dang it. I was just going to say that. You beat me <laughs> I, too. I was going to say like a little kid's primer of all of the, the 50 states. Mm. Yeah. That have a lot of capitals in it. I get it. Because like the states yes. all have capitals. I, I also made the same joke. Anyway, this has been the, the latest uh, rollout of the Bibliovile Initiative. The Bibliovile Initiative. The ongoing. TBI. The ongoing uh, project. To read all of the world's bad books. And every see who can find the worst one. One of them. The, the most enjoyable worst one. In any case, that will do us for this edition of the, the uh, Bibliobile. Uh, you can check us back in two weeks. That date comes out uh, when we're going to come out on the April 27th. We are steadily marching through 2017 uh, as we are wont to do when time goes by. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. And you can follow the world's most recent 25-year-old Susan Johnson at, or Dickinson, at Susan J, S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. And our outro music, if he remembers to put it on this time, womp, womp. is by the one and only Mick Dickinson. That's me. So we will see you back in two weeks. Have a good night, Matt. Night.